I do like that little jingle, though. It's very jaunty. Isn't it just? Cheered me up a bit. I'm in a right grump, Rob. Oh, what's wrong? I know. Just really angry. You were... <laughs> you were fine earlier. I'm really angry. Is it because you miss me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's getting up at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, that can do it. Yeah, this is only my second beer of the year. Oh, that's going to be going down well, no? <clears throat> well, I'll tell you in a second. It's a... Uh... Wainwright Golden Beer, which is from Marston's Brewery. It's got one of Wainwright's uh, mountain illustrations on the front. Oh, yeah. Mm, that's pretty good. Well, that's quite... Um, it's, it's got a, like a little sort of sweet, sort of caramelly finish to it. Mm, get you. It's good, that. it's good, that. I like it. Well done, Marston's. Welcome to North V South podcast about but not about design uh with uh, rob turpin and john elliman good evening john good evening what are we going to do about the um our soundtrack uh, our jingle our stolen jingle copy <laughs> well that's it yeah sad news <clears throat> more, more for you that well i mean sad news full stop but i wasn't a, a fall fan um but yes we've lost marquis smith yep at the tender age of, was he 59 Six, or 60? 60. It's a surprise, you know, he made it this far, really. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it, a lot of a lot of aggrieved people on Twitter that I never knew were full fans. Yes, Twitter was a what? <laughs> uh, saying uh, Fall were their favourite bands. Of course. They always have been. I've got all of their CDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I liked him. He was, he made me laugh. Great lyrics, and um, I like a bit of, uh, you know, sort of rockabilly, repetitive droning. Well, I suggest for the next episode, John, you compose some uh, repetitive rockabilly droning for the... Well, uh, I should really, for, for, for copyright issues, shouldn't I? <laughs> you've got. Are you up to that? Did your, uh, did your private <laughs> education stretch to uh, musical composition? No, just, just um, below the surface simmering rage. <laughs> Let's see. Well, that'll be fine. Are you musical at all, actually? No. I don't mean when prodded, like, you know, like a an activity centre. Like a cow in a tin. Mm. Uh, no, you don't play any instruments. No. no. Me neither. Never even mastered the recorder. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, how's your week been? <sighs> okay. Should we leave it at that? Yeah. Um, what's on your desk? Uh, well, I'm working on a couple of commissions at the minute. One is an isometric illustration of the house from my neighbour Totoro, um, which actually is a bit awkward because of its kind of proportions with it being quite wide and low. So that needs a bit of tweaking. And the other illustration is even more problematic, and it's got more problematic just before we started the recording. So I'm redrawing uh, a, uh, a hippocampus, not the brain stem hippocampus, but the mythical beast hippocampus, part horse, part, I don't know, it's a bit like a seahorse, but with arms, um, which is a logo for 
a publishing company and they they wanted it redrawn and i i said yes no problem and then they sent me some uh reference uh including a version of it that they'd had they'd commissioned and then not used but that commissioned version was a direct copy of a copyrighted illustration that they also sent me <clears throat> so i kind of got back to them saying you know what exactly do you want me to do can't copy this uh and they said no just kind of do it in your own style and then they got back to me again and said but it's got to have exactly the same silhouette as our existing logo so it's tricky i sent them a sketch tonight and they said oh that's great but can we do this 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 and this with it um so it's proving to be i'm griping about it a bit um but you know that's commercial like, commercial work isn't it it's, it's I, a weird one really yeah I, I i'm i've got lots and lots of work on my desk that's at oh that's at 90 percent finished mm. but has been 90 percent finished for about eight weeks yeah <clears throat> and it's driving me mad the client either comes back and changes the original brief therefore i'm stuck in some internal sisyphan task or that they just you know they just sort of wander off and then come back you know two weeks later and well you know oh yes here's the bit that you were missing but i need it today yeah Uh, so i just and i'm not getting anywhere i just feel like i'm treading in you know porridge or quicksand and if anybody out there experiences this it's a really unpleasant place to be actually yeah, there's a lot of it better, I think. I think uh, it's been a couple of Twitter conversations only today about uh, exactly the same thing. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, so it's a, it is a pain when that happens. It's it, it's always that last bit of a project that takes the time, isn't it? We know when it shouldn't, really. Yeah, a, c- a client to me, said to me today, it's the, uh, the last 10% of a climbing a mountain is the hardest bit. I said, yeah, but they want to change the mountain into a spaceport. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Kitty in the background. Yeah, she's um, being a pain in the arse. Yep. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh, so what else is on my desk? Uh, well, we've got the same, similar things on our desk at the minute because I'm rereading the first volume of Black Hammer because I've got the second issue, uh, the second volume of Black Hammer to read so i thought i'd recap rereading the first um and you've just read the have you finished the uh, first volume um uh, oh nurse now what black, were we talking hammer. about black hammer so yes i went to a new comic and games shop in winchester on monday Ooh. and very nice people in there they do coffee if you want to sit and have a coffee you can play a Ooh. game if you want to it was full of geeks playing magic they, they, fit right in then yeah, it's not my thing really, but they got some. They had some really cool games in there. They got loads of comics, and um, so I was chatting to him about Black Hammer. He was raving about it, mm. and because uh, uh, I went in there to buy the uh, P- a Peter Grant uh, graphic novel, which is the Rivers of London um, yep. by Ben Aranovich, and he's actually writing the comics themselves. And uh, yeah, I don't don't like the art on them, but the uh, but the stories are great. Um, which is the opposite for um, for Black Hammer, which I thought, I think the art is absolutely fantastic. Love it. Love the style of it. It's really great to see and refreshing to read a superhero comic that 
hasn't been done in that Marvel yes. airbrush style, which, which leaves me cold, I have to say. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and the story's great. It's kind of like a, I don't know, it's, it's a bit Watchmen-like, isn't it, in terms of burnt-out superheroes, or maybe yes. the, the, you know, the Invincibles. Yeah, um, but so, I can see it just going in so it can go in so many great ways. How it's going to develop. So I'm looking forward to going back there next Monday because I'm there every Monday and uh, getting volume two. Fantastic. <clears throat> now you can get it cheaper. Obviously, you can buy it on Amazon for ten quid. But I thought, you know what? I might as well start supporting a local comic shop. Well, that's quite nice if you've got one local to you. What else is on my desk? Uh, well, not exactly on my desk. Um, but I've watched uh, a couple of films in the last few years to fill in a, a, a yawning chasm in my cultural uh, whatevers, which is I watched The Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 uh, and thought they were amazing, which isn't that surprising, is there? Yeah, certainly the second one is widely considered to be one of the finest films ever made, um, although I preferred the first one. Okay. I thought the second one was just a little bloated. Still mm. brilliant, uh, you know, and enthralling. Um, but I thought the first one was just a bit, uh, a bit more went on than the first one. Um, have you seen the third one? I have. It's um, yeah. Are you going to go on? Is it really bad? Just not. It's just really dull. Oh. It doesn't have any of that. Um, I don't know. Has doesn't have any of that excitement of the first two. Mm. For me, I don't like it. Mm. I might have to watch it just for completion. Yeah, you got to c- complete it. But I, d- I don't see it as I see the two as as part of you know the original. Because yeah. I, I think the original book is. Um, have you read the book Mario Puzo? I no. Uh, I think that might cover the first two. I'm going to be wrong there. Somebody's going to. If anybody's listening to this, they'll yeah. tell me I'm wrong. On your desk or mine. Don't know on your desk is that it? That's pretty much it. It's uh, it's reasonably tidy at the minute. I had a big tidy up uh, a few days ago, so it's kind of stripped back to the essentials. Oh, mine's a mess. No, mine's. I think because I'd come to the end of a couple of projects and and uh, commissions, well, I just took the opportunity to to clear the decks, mm. so I can I can see where everything is, which is nice. Oh, you're good. <clears throat> Yeah, on mine is uh, just yeah, just wires everywhere at the moment because I've been unplugging things and plugging things back in. Um, what else have I been doing? I've been I've had a quick design job this week, and I thought rather than use Illustrator, which is my usual uh, tool of design for websites and things like that, um, I I used uh, XD, which is the Adobe's I don't know what, what you'd call it UX design tool. Mm. Last time I used it, it just frustrated because it was so limited in its scope. It was so, you know, I, I just, I abandoned it pretty quickly. Right. This time it's added a lot more features. It's still missing quite a lot of things. For example, internal interactions. So button states and, you know, hover states and that kind of thing. Uh, you can't, you can't simulate those. Linking together screens or showing um uh, pass through through things it's really really good what what do they uh kind of say it is what it's adobe's what good question design prototype share ah. there you go so 
you can do wireframes in it. You can download all the different kits from the different um, uh, mobile operating system developers, so Windows, Google Material, Apple right. iOS. So it will have all the components. And then you can just you can either just create, say, a web page or an iP- a, a prototype for an iPad or an iPhone. And then you can mm-hmm. link pages together. So you could go from, I don't know, from a home page to an About Us page, or you could show a purchase interaction something like that okay um but what is really good is it started to add styles and other things that you might get in InDesign and illustrator uh but it also creates this design package which they're beatering at the moment you can link it with uh, a couple of other um external apps but it will create like a, a a living style sheet so uh it will collect all of the so it will display all of the typefaces and the sizes all the colors that are used and then you can just copy and paste those as you know css into your into your code if you're making them yeah um or you can pass them on to a developer and it also automatically uploads to a sort of cloud um thing for the for the for your client so they can interact okay. with it and leave yeah. comments and that kind of thing um but it it has moved on a lot a long way so um i thought and i put together a site really really quickly in it i mean super rapid Mm. Uh, yeah really good really impressed so if you were put off with it early on i'd say go back and uh, and have a go wow there's a ringing endorsement from mr Elderman. yep marvelous stuff uh what else what else you got on your desk you've been playing games yeah i was at a friend's house on saturday and he's a designer i can't say who for but a large high street bank and um he loves I didn't realize this, but loves board games. So he cracked out the board games. There were a load of us around his house, um, family, and we played um, two games, one called Machi Kuru, which is kind of card-based city-building game um, Mm. where you have to collect resources, which was really good fun. And then the other one, which I really liked, was and you you would really like, called Timelines. And you, you can get different types of it, but it was a British history one. So you all get given a load of cards and they might have historic events on them, but they don't have the years. The years are on the back. And then you have to build a timeline. So if somebody puts down, for example, Florence Nightingale and you had the Peasants Revolt, you'd put it in before that. Right. But obviously it becomes increasingly difficult as you get more and more items in it. And it's the first to get rid of all their cards. It's a really, really good game. Good game. So it's like a historical rummy cub or something. Exactly. Ah. Yeah. Cool. Timelines, that's cool. They're, they're kind of enjoying quite a resurgence, aren't they? Sort of tabletop games and board games, card games. They yeah. seem to be as popular now as they've ever been. Yeah, it's great. And I think because people are bored of sitting around scrolling on their phones or playing video games. And it's a great way to, you know, cheap evening, isn't it? It is. You know, a game, what does it cost, like 20 quid for one of these card games or yeah. even less? And then a few beer and pretzels, as they call them, beer and pretzel games. Well, I, I'd call it, um, yes, <laughs> I don't know what i call it. Uh, Clariton Stilton. Yes. <laughs> Excellent Clariton Stilton game. Uh, Marvellous. Uh, should we move on to some news? Yes, I've got quite a lot of news. We haven't can got we a- go, can, can we go straight to your... Um, Fourth item, please. Because just reading it just makes me laugh. An emotional support peacock. 
Have you read this news item? Yes. yes. Did you see it when it came out? No, I had no idea. It's yeah. So uh, a a um, a peacock called Dexter was banned from a United Airlines flight. A, a, a photographer and performance artist. Of course, she's only got one name. Oh, she bought a, t- a ticket for her peacock Dexter, yeah. who acts as her emotional support peacock. Because everybody needs an emotional. Maybe that's um, what I needed today. I think you probably do. I think I, I think that's right. I think we all do need an emotional support peacock. <laughs> I, I know my life would be uh, more complete with one. Yeah, there's a photograph of it on the uh, on the article in the Guardian. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's he is a peacock beast, isn't he? Yeah, uh, and he's also got a an Instagram account, of course. Uh, Dexter <laughs> oh, the peacock. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. I assume it's just all selfies. <laughs> it is. Mm. Oh, my word. Okay, not quite safe for work. Oh, really? I mean, Dexter's fully feathered, clothed, but uh, <clears throat> his uh, his performance artist owner isn't in some of those shots. <laughs> uh, That's marvellous. Dexter, the emotional support peacock. Marvellous stuff. Uh, I'm going to start with a bit of tech news, which has been kind of everywhere for the last few days, the week. So Strava, the exercise app for running and cycling, uh, has uh, kind of unwittingly given away the location of lots of secret army bases because it has a heat map facility, which kind of shows you how often certain routes are run by different people. And you can... You know, your data is updated, uh, is uploaded to this heat map system. Um, but of course, one of the things you do on a military base, if you're a soldier with little else to do, is you stay fit and you go for runs and you generally run the perimeter of the base. <laughs> so this, this heat really? map has, has unwittingly shown in, in Clank pretty great detail the the outlines and the structures of military bases across the world wow um including area 51 has a nice heat map um it's really quite remarkable oh therefore uh, though is it it's exactly surely the soldiers on the bases shouldn't be so stupid to be advertising their position that's it it's it's you know a lot of the news has uh kind of pointed the finger of blame at um strava for violating people's privacy, but it's it's actually a a, a what you call it? It's a, a feature of the of the app. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're on a military base, you really should be thinking about the privacy settings on your phone and your app, shouldn't you? Definitely. Um, but brilliant. You know, it's shown uh, uh, the Falkland Islands shows up on it. Um, Area 51. There's places in South Korea have shown up on it. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. There's a really if you if you run Strava, there's a really good app uh, that you can use to sort of post pr- produce your own video of your run or right. whatever exercise you do. If you go to Relive, I think it's .co, um, you can then join the two together and uh, it creates like a 3D flying map of your wow. of your run. It's really cool. Kind of using sort of Google Maps, yeah, and 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 it gets the um, the contours and sort of maps it yeah. to a three dimensional thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no fun for me as I'm only running on a treadmill at the minute, but 
Yeah, I think you can do treadmills as well. It will just <laughs> just hover outside my house. Yeah, <clears throat> spooky. Uh, so, what's your next bit of news, Jonathan? A revisit of um, previous news story, which was the new logo for Formula One. They've they've been in a spot of bother recently because their logo looks exactly like a pair of compression tights made by 3M. <laughs> Can we clarify that? It looks like the logo for some compression tights. Oh, yeah, not the leg. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is uh, incredibly similar. Yeah, I haven't read any further news other than 3M saying they've spoken to their lawyers about it. Yeah, it's a weird one. The article that you've linked to and is, is one that I read um, is about the perils of trademarking logos, which make it sound like a kind of an administration issue. But actually it's not. If you're designing a logo for a huge global corporation or media entity or sporting entity, you should do your research. You know, it's, I can't believe in this day and age that it's that difficult to to figure out if someone has produced something that's similar. I don't think there's any suggestion that uh, the designers have copied the three M logo. Either. It's just uh, it's coincidental. But um, you know, you have to do a bit of background research. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it is a storm in a teacup, really, isn't it? I mean, it's not a strong logo in to start with, anyway. No, um, I mean, when it first came out, everyone was saying, well, it's just like um, Wipeout. Yeah. So, yeah, they haven't been um, perhaps that innovative. Yeah, I can't read that article and I can't read the one after it, although I'm a massive fan of Tom Gould because I'm stuck out. Uh, I can't get into Creative Review's website. You mean some and, sort of Kafka-esque loop? Yeah, and their their support has been pathetic even though I've had a few emails from them. Um, mm. I had a three-week wait for a reply from their customer support service. Um, nice. But basically it's saying when I log in, it says uh, there's a user with that email already, <laughs> which is me. <laughs> Great. So even though I reset it and they've reset it, the password, yeah. I can't get in. But I'm a paying member. It's really annoying because I can't read anything at the moment. And really now, that, that, now the fact that there's a two-month wait between editions, their articles are so out of date by the time the next edition comes out. So there's a real disconnect between the two, the two bits at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, what's the point in having news in a in a magazine that only comes out every two months? Yeah, well, but these are articles, aren't they? That will, yeah. I know that it will appear in the whatever the April edition. But yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't quite work. I don't think. No, I had similar issues today, uh, twice actually. Uh, once I was trying to. Uh, add an Oyster card to the TFL app and it just wouldn't work. So I had to find customer services and they said, oh, you have to set up an account on the TFL website first. So I did that and then go to the TFL website, try and add the Oyster card. And it says this Oyster card is already registered. (laughs) So really handy. Uh, And I had a similar issue with wired.com as well. So there's a lot of uh, companies not quite getting it right. Yeah. It's very annoying. Mm. Uh, So my next thing, I've got a bit of design news. Uh, We're all redundant again. You know, the uh, ongoing march of AI and machine learning to replace designers. Uh, Nutella have used an algorithm 
to generate 7 million, I think it's 7, yeah, 7 million different labels for their jars of uh, chocolate hazelnut spread. Um, so the algorithm pulled from a database of dozens of patterns and colors to create 7 million unique versions of Nutella's graphic identity. Well, it, it didn't really, it didn't, it hasn't produced versions of the identity. It's just been uh, used to create patterns, but they do look quite cool. But I think the, the thing that this shows is this only works if your actual identity, i.e. the, the Nutella uh, logo or logotype in this case, is so strong. It's so um, easily recognizable. You couldn't do it with every brand that doesn't have such a recognizable logo. So, so the labels are like a, they, they, they're coming out almost like a variable. Yes. Wow. I guess so. Yeah. They look great. Yeah. Like mm. you say, they don't, it doesn't affect the brand at all. It's just like a wrap around that the logo's sitting on with a large white yeah. key line around it. But it, yeah, it suits all of them, doesn't it? It looks, it does. it looks <laughs> great. And the yeah. little uh, uh, photographs that they've kind of put together using different uh colors and kind of patterns that go with the, the computer generated imagery is really nice um studio dbd mm-hmm. they i don't know the name of the people or whether they're one person or several people it's hard to say uh, they posted on twitter this week i read twitter um for Did a little you? bit All yeah yeah i finished it's good Excellent. it's good really good um they, uh, the question was, try to explain to a group of students today that in main, in the main, agencies aren't necessarily that interested in what grade someone has and are more interested in the portfolio, work, attitude, ambition and general fit. They didn't believe me. So any advice? And uh, they then ended up doing a little um, uh, like a questionnaire that you can poll on the, on the Twitter website now, can't you? Mm. Although you can't view it in their app, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and it turned out, well, so they, they posted four choices. You could choose, um, uh, the question was, if you could only pick one choice to employ a graduate, which one would it be? One, educational grade. Two, decent portfolio of work. Three, willingness to learn. Or four, attitude. Which do you reckon won, Rob? Well, surely it's educational grades. Everyone should be striving for A's and uh, distinction, shouldn't they? <laughs> I don't remember ever looking at anybody's grades, uh, oh. employing anybody. It's just like... You certainly didn't look at mine because I didn't have any. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's overwhelmingly was 39% attitude, uh, followed by decent portfolio of work and then willingness to learn fairly closely behind that. And 1% yep. educational grade which says to you students listening to this, it's not important, but it will reflect the amount of effort that you're putting into your work. So uh, I wouldn't ease off on the accelerator. No, you can't, can you? Because fair enough, the the final grade might not be important when you're going for a job, but you know that is going to be indicative of, like you say, the amount of work you've put in and, and it reflects uh, what you've learned. So, you know, yeah, because I spent, don't think if you've spent three years at university and you've got a crap career and you're going for a job, you know, that probably is they're probably going to uh, put more uh, onus on that than if you've got an, an A. 
Yeah, I think, you know, if you're struggling to fulfill briefs that are giving you, you know, three, four or five weeks to turn around work, then mm. um, you're going to struggle in, in, in a real studio. And it's only yeah, when you get into a real studio that the, the shit hits the fan, as it were. Um, but I think that, yeah, the, the, the educational grade will reflect on the, the amount of effort you're putting into your degree. Mm. Um, and uh, if not, then um, pull your socks up. But it is all about attitude. I, I think attitude is the most is, is a strange word because it's a bit airy fairy. But I think that sort of you know when you're sitting when you're interviewing somebody or you're meeting them and looking through their work, it's about the way that they um, they present that work, that they present themselves, that they hold themselves, and the confidence that they you know that they give you that you think well yeah I could uh, I could let them let them loose with some some client work. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm talking. I'm not talking about you know experienced job interviews here. I'm talking about you know first timers or you know second job. Um, it's really important that they have that confidence to stand up in front of a client and talk through their ideas. And that's that's one of the biggest battles that I had as people that just didn't have that that drive to want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good, really good from uh, Studio DBD. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, my next little thing is some cartographic news. We like a map, don't we? Yeah. We were talking about maps in Tolkien's work uh, for the last couple of weeks. And there was a, a an article on BBC News, <clears throat> which is a bit uh, slightly disingenuous. Because it says the Yorkshire Dales National Park gets a Tolkien style map. And indeed it does, but not in any official sense. There's <laughs> um, an illustrator designer called Dan Bell, who is currently on a project, and he's drawing all of um, the country's national parks in the style of Tolkien's maps. Um, and recently completed the Dales. Well, he's actually completed nine out of 15. So, uh, you know, there's the Dales, the Lit District, Peak District, Dartmoor, Cairngorms. Um, but they're nice little things. They lack uh, a little vermilion, I would say. They're black and white. I think they could uh, benefit from a little bit of colour. <clears throat> but they're quite nicely drawn. They're a little bit too regular, I think, to be a, sort of a genuine Tolkien-esque map. Yeah, I think it's a nice little project. Yeah. Um, and, but I think there were, yeah, little stylish, stylistic error, error, not errors. I don't know things that glare out at me. One, the the lettering isn't. No, it good looks enough. like it's been done with sort of a fat pen. Yeah, like a sharpie or something. Yeah, but um, I, li- I like I like the idea of it. But yeah, vermilion, get it in there. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. But yeah, good luck on finishing that. And he's selling them on his site, so you can go off to Middle Earth's maps. And you can buy his Giclée prints. That's your little Gwyn has died. Um, so it's a, a bit of a strange one for me because I haven't read a single one of her novels. Even though I think when I was um, when I was growing up, I did read quite a lot of fantasy fiction, but never got around to it. I don't know if she maybe wasn't quite as popular. Um, kind of when I was in my early teens, when I was reading fantasy fiction. Um, but I've read a lot of her short stories, which are often kind of nearly always uh, featured in anthologies. Um, so it's very sad. She was um, a real proponent of 
kind of a diversity in in her fiction, whether it was kind of uh, race or gender and kind of throwing stereotypes on their heads. Um, so, yeah, it's very sad. Mm. Um, but I think, um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about her, her books um, since uh, since her death. So I think I'm probably going to try and pick up either <clears throat> some of the Earthsea books that she wrote or The Left Hand of Darkness, which is just a fantastic title for a novel. Yeah, I, I read um, A Wizard of Earthsea last year, actually, because I'd oh, never yeah. read any of her stuff. Yeah, and I did I enjoy it? I found it hard work. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't fall in love with her writing, um, but there were there were certain beautiful bits, and I certainly wouldn't want to read the rest of them. Okay, something made me really cross, Rob. Another thing. And doesn't everything make you really cross, John? Mainly, yeah. It's all right. I'm seeing someone about it. Uh, the gu- <laughs> the Guardian, um, the Guardian site website had the most awful, awful article in it about. Um, this new uh, a new ref, uh, reflex SLR camera heralding in a new 35mm film renaissance. Yawn, yawn. Youngsters mm. have discovered 35mm film. Did you know that? And yeah. always, yes, and they're, 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 um, they're developing film and they're having a great time doing it. And they're having such a great time that they've decided to kickstarter their own analog SLR camera. Right. You know, well, you can still buy well, SLR cameras. I, I know. And... It looks, re- I, I, pl- I, you know, I'm all for them, for people making things and, you know, trying, you know, working out how to build things and take them to market. That's fantastic. But this thing looks awful. The prototype to it. It looks like some kind of Russian camera that Del Boy might have sold down in Peckham weirdly, Market. Weirdly, my first SLR camera was, was a Zenit. Yes. Which I think was Russian. Right. Uh, and I think we bought it secondhand off someone. And it, it doesn't look dissimilar to that. Um, but it's going to be £399. Now, I whizzed over to eBay and just put in a, a search for a 35mm film camera. And you can get an OM2, one of the best ever um, 35mm cameras ever made, uh, with lenses, right, you know, nice, sharp, proper pro mm. ones for 30 quid. <laughs> you are an idiot if you back this. Well, let's be honest. Kickstarter is is uh, populated almost entirely by idiots. <laughs> Say Isn't what you see, Rob. Well, it is. I uh, just got- you know, come on, guys. You know, we, like it's not a story. The Guardian. It's just stupid, stupid article. Mm. But um, yeah, we do not need to reinvent the analog SLR. They're talking about like some of the extra things of it that you they might have a sort of an automatic note taker on the back of it. God, you can pick them up for nothing. Crazy. Mm. Uh, uh, linked only by uh, Kickstarter. I've got a, I've got an issue with a Kickstarter I backed. Right. Which was uh, I backed a Kickstarter by a guy I'd found on Twitter who's a, an illustrator and comic artist. And he'd done some one-shot comics before. And his, his Twitter feed was kind of littered with these beautiful character drawings. He plays role-playing games and D&D and stuff. And lots of fan art, really cool style of drawing so he had this kickstarter uh, i'm not going to name names uh but it was to produce quite a big book i think it's like a 140 page graphic novel um and his kickstarter was successful and raised i think almost eighteen thousand pounds and he's now two and a half years late delivering it 
um, and it's it's difficult. I you know I have um, nudged him and I've sent him a few messages, as have other people, and there's comment lots of comments on his Kickstarter campaign, and he he has this horrible tendency to say an update coming next week and then nothing for three months. Um, and I'm really sceptical about his progress because he hasn't posted any photographs of his progress. Mm. He keeps saying, it's all linked, I'm just doing some of the colouring now, it'll be you know, ready, be, be at the printers in February, post some pictures next week, nothing. So, does, does he get the money yet or not? Yeah, you get the money when it when it um, when it reaches its goal, right? Not when you deliver it. So you could be left out of pocket, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's um, part of, that's part of the investor thing of Kickstarter. It is. You are an investor, aren't you? So there is risk attached. Yeah. Um, but it's because I'm creative as well. I I know what it's like to get behind on stuff, and I know what it's like to perhaps overpromise. Um. So I don't want to be too hard on the guy, but it's it's his kind of lack of transparency about the situation he's in that was really, really riling me. You know, <laughs> I wish he'd just post an update and say, you know, I've got to complain. I massively underestimated the amount of time it's going to take me. <clears throat> I underestimated the amount of money I would need so that I could give enough time to produce it. Um, this is where I'm at. You know, I've only drawn half of it. Here are yeah. some pictures of the stuff that I've done. It's going to be at least another year. You know, I would much rather prefer that than these incremental updates that we have to kind of beg for um, that then he fails to deliver on. Um, but because I've kind of been in situations where I've overpromised stuff, it's I don't want to be too harsh on the guy. But it's it's money. You know, it's 18 grand's worth of backers' money there that he's, I don't know, I mean, he might have already spent it all. Who knows? Yeah, because 18 grand's not going to make help you live for two and a half years, is it? No, I mean, it gets you Six through. months' work. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. Oh, dear. Yeah, so it's a, it's a tricky one. Yeah. So I've I've kind of muted him on Twitter now so that I don't see, because that's the other thing. He often posts about how much Dungeons and Dragons he's playing, and the fan art he's drawn for this, and here's my new character sketch. And every time he does that, I just scream at the screen. You know, <laughs> why aren't you drawing your bloody comic? This is a, this is the danger of modern life, isn't it? Of always being on the radar, radar mm. from that increased yeah. anxiety in society of of always being watched. Yeah. Trying to prize people's, you know, away from mobile phones and distractions. Yeah, it's difficult. So I'm just trying to ignore it now mm. and not let it bother me. <laughs> well, so, it, it, is it not bothering you, Rob? Well, he, he posted an update today, <clears throat> which is uh, why it was on my mind. Mm. Um, oh, dear. <sighs> hang on, I'll just take a sip of beer. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's better. Uh, my next bit of news. We've got time for one more bit of news? Yeah, go on. Uh, Noma Bar, uh, who is the um, 
highly celebrated designer illustrator who produces this kind of beautiful illustrations and logos that make use of negative space. So you kind of look at it and think, oh, that's a picture of a, I don't know, a monkey. And then you look at it again, you think, oh, actually, no, that's a cat. Or, you know, these kind of things. And he's done lots of uh, work for big brands, um, lots of stuff for campaigns, uh, really lovely stuff. It's it's a, a type of design that I cannot do. You know, those kind of really clever logos that kind of have a hidden element that you don't see, like the, the arrow in the FedEx logo or... Uh, and I think it's uh, it's a bit like doing cryptic crosswords. It's it's a skill that you have or don't have. Um, but on uh, Creative Boom, there's a an article, uh, an interview with him, and quite an in-depth interview. It's promoting his new book. It's actually a five-volume boxed book called Bittersweet, and it's kind of a retrospective of all his work. Um, and it looks like a very beautiful thing. So if you're a fan of Noma Bar, if you're a fan of that kind of incredibly clean and clever sort of design and illustration, uh, particularly sort of in branding and advertising, then it is well worth a look. Love his work, mostly because it is incomprehensibly difficult for me to comprehend. <laughs> Another designer who is renowned for clean and simple is Michael Beirut, and he's got a book out called Now You See It and Other Essays on Design. It's a collection mm. of his writing from over the last few years, and uh, he's been interviewed in Design Week, I think, recently. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he's asked about all sorts of different things because uh, he designed the Hillary Clinton unsuccessful campaign. Yep. I have to say, unsuccessful. It's quite a cool little logo. Um, he's very spare designer, isn't he? Yes, very simple. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know what he was. What he's been saying about, but um, he's, he talks about one thing, which is political. They've asked him about. Do you think political communication has changed? And we've been banging on about that for the last year or so, saying, mm. do we think that design is going to get more political? And he says there's definitely a new route with political messaging. And then he go, which is which is you know encouraging. But then he said he sort of his example is about a women's march that took place in Washington last year, where thousands of people made signs by hand on their kitchen tables. But isn't that what everybody does on marches? <coughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of like it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's not thought through. And he's but his point is who's controlling the design discourse when something is organic and uh, crowdsourced. Uh, he mentions another example of the um, the Pussy Project, was it called? Yeah. Uh, which hats. which we saw, yeah, which was you could download different templates, a bit like the Innocent mm. Smoothie hats. Yeah. Um, and you could knit your own, your own designs. Um, and I'm guessing he's seeing that that is a way for design to move forward, but I can't see that making design companies much money if everyone's outsourcing <laughs> to, yeah. to, uh, to the public. Um, yeah, I like, I like Michael Beirut. I don't think he's quite on the ball with that though. No, it doesn't, it hasn't been thought fully through, has it? That, that, no. that design, but yeah, who's controlling the design discourse. That's a really interesting pathway to, to vent, mm. to wander down, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So we've had a lot of news tonight. It's probably uh, far too much news for anybody to, uh, listen all the way all the way through 
have you got a website of the week that you want to? Uh, I have got a website of the week. Uh, where's my website of the week? Where is my website of the week? Oh, it's uh, it's a YouTube channel from the Art Institute of Chicago, and it's called Art Explainer. So it's, they've just, I think they've it's only recently started. They've only got three videos up in this series at the minute. Uh, art Explainer videos empower you to look at and understand art from any historical period or culture. Designed for students as well as adults, this video series is produced for the web and usable. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so basically they've create these videos that look at two or three works of art, whether painting or photography or sculpture. And they talk about a specific kind of theme that those works of art address, whether it's uh, how they uh, recreate or affect depth and texture or, or composition or, and it's it's like a little primer, really. So if you're not used to looking at art or there's some art that you're unfamiliar with, it's like a primer on things that you can consider when looking at that art, whether in a gallery or online or in a book, um, that perhaps give you a, a better insight into what the artist was thinking or what their aims were. Um, and it's nicely done. And I think it's uh, it's well worth a look. So that's the Art Explainer videos from the Art Institute of Chicago. Excellent. Mine's a shop um, called Pentatonic. I think it's a group of designers and mm-hmm. they're playing with recyclable materials. They've got a, 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 t- a sort of conference table that's that's designed like an air wing, uh, an, mm-hmm. an, an aeroplane wing that you can buy all different components for to build your own table. They've got uh, a seat and some glassware, which is made out of smartphone old screens, which is a cool. great idea. But the the one that really I really liked was you talk. You were talking last week about uh, a horrible cover that you <laughs> yeah. got for your phone. Yes. Th- this one here is uh, it's called the Husky, and I think it look I think it looks great, and it's it's quite tough and rugged. It's made from recycled rice husks and um, and bits of DVD. That's that they cool. could recycle, so they've mixed together. They've melted down, obviously, the plastic that was um, that was inside the DVD, and then um, mixed it with rice to create this kind of organic patterned, um, slightly speckly, I'd say, speckly material. I love that that speckledness. Yeah, to me too. It's kind of like a modern day Bakelite or something. Yeah, they, I, um, I I really if I had a a modern iPhone, I would definitely buy one of those. They're they're only yeah. ten quid. Yeah, I'm not as a huge fan of the kind of prismatic texture they've got on the on the back, but I love the texture of the material itself. Mm. That's fab. That chair as well. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful, kind of isn't it? Chair is beautiful. So that's pen- pentatonic.com. P-E-N-T-A-T-O-N-I-C. Uh, what have you got pie-wise pie this week, I've Jonathan? got a bean little pie by Higgledy. It is not a pie. It's a quiche with beans in it, some peppers, feta, and then what looks like porridge on the top or, or crumble. Intriguing. There's no case on the top. And so officially it isn't a pie, is it? No. I had to throw last week's away because um, it went off. I wish I'd thrown last week's away. So I'm going in. Oh, it's quite tasty, actually. I quite like the sound of it. Mm. Spicy, like spicy beans. Yeah. I like a spicy bean. Yeah, no, it's actually it's actually really nice. It's it's not a pie, 
but um, it tastes a lot better than I thought it mm. would do. Ew, that's six, Rob. Six? Yeah, it's, deli- it's delicious. It's, it's disqualified, though. Yeah. But, um, I've got a I've got a pie that I've had before, and I think last time I had this pie, I give it a nine or a ten. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how it fares tonight. It's a steak and Stilton pie from the Windsor Farm Shop. Uh, so I'm just going it short crust pastry. It smells delicious. Oh, it's really good. It tastes like a proper homemade steak pie. Mm. And you can almost, as you eat it, you kind of almost inhale that Stilton-y, kind of almost sort of sharp tanginess. It's delicious. It's going to get a nine. That's awesome, a lot. good pie. Next time I go, I'll get you one. Okay. Well, well that was marvellous, John. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all I will say is uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, I bid you a good uh, weekend. Uh, bonsoir. <laughs> yeah. And next week, we're going to be back with an episode about bad design. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad as incompetent. No. Bad as evil. Yeah. Okay. Right, love to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Best of luck with your wedding. Say hi to Steph, and I will speak to you soon. Bye. Have you yes. re- have you read it? Yeah. Have you not? <laughs> I think I might have read it read it last week and then stopped halfway through. Uh, so I, I saw read it, it. I for- but I've forgotten by now. Yeah. So, are you sitting comfortably? <clears throat> yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> right. So. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Last week we talked about the uh, about chapter two, which was uh, chapter one, which was the long uh, expected party. So this week it's the Shadow of the Past, chapter two. What did you think, John? <clears throat> yeah, it's um, it's it's exact opposite of the last chapter, which was very much in the vein of the Hobbit. This one really ups the threat um, and the uh, sort of stress levels for the Hobbits and starts talking about the backstory for the first time of the ring. Um, We hear about the power of the ring. Uh, Gandalf um, reads out the the script around the ring. And so suddenly we've thrown into this kind of slightly, yeah, a stressful sort of foreboding. Mm. It's the first time the ring has been kind of mentioned as being the ring of power, isn't it? So you know, all the way through The Hobbit, it was just a magic ring and, you know, Bilbo had a magic ring and now all of a sudden it's this great ring of power. Yeah, it was... Uh, one thing that struck me was that Gandalf handles the ring in this. And and in, does, and yeah. in, and in the film and in the books, uh, in, in the radio, it. he doesn't touch it. And mm. I can see why they did that because it really does... Um, it was really surprising to read him ha- yeah, him, him so, holding yeah. it. Um, and I think that, is that an oversight or is that, you know, would it have affected him? Maybe. Um, oh, in the films, you know, it's it's very, you know, none of the other characters kind of dare touch it, do they? Unless they actually yearn for it. Um, uh, Galadriel doesn't 
touch it. Gandalf doesn't touch it. Aragorn doesn't touch it. Um, so yeah, it's, it was curious that, <clears throat> and surprised me because I I didn't remember that. No, it's a good. It, it's um, it's it's a really important chapter in setting the start of the adventure. Um, mm. You know, a lot a lot of times passed. Um, Frodo is settled in, um, into this sort of bucolic lifestyle, and uh, Gandalf comes by and shakes it all up again, doesn't he? He does. Uh, that thing about time passing—that's something that's entirely skipped over, really, in the films, because um, between Bilbo leaving the Shire and Gandalf coming back um, to talk about the ring, twenty years have passed. Yeah. So Frodo is now the the same age that Bilbo was when he when he went out for his adventure with the dwarves in the Hobbit. I think that's where Ralph Bashke's, um film nails that this part of it and the Hobbit. Does it, part I can't really it. remember. Yeah, that it kind of. Do you remember it cycles through the winters and the, oh, okay. and the spring really really quickly? Um, I think that um, uh, that's alluded to in the Harry Potter film um, with some of the seasons changing. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's this lovely um, sort of um, time lapse scene in the in the in the cartoon film from '77, mm. was it something like that? Yeah, um, where it just yeah just cycles through uh, all the different seasons. Um, but yeah, you do, you just don't get that impression in the film of, of time passing. Yeah, no, it's entirely sort of skipped over. Um, and the the chapter kind of ends on a bit of joy, doesn't it? Really, because Sam gets dragged in in a in a great comic moment uh, through yes. the window, and he's literally dragged from sort of the periphery of the story into the centre of it. And uh, he actually is probably the most important character in the book. He is, um, and he isn't. Previously in the book, it doesn't really talk about Sam as being a, a great friend of Frodo. It talks about uh, Merry and Pippin being uh, Frodo's best friends, uh, and Sam obviously, you know, uh, being a friend, but he's also his gardener. Um, yeah, well, we've got. I mean, we've got to see that this is written in terms, you know, of Tolkien was very much um, class. You know, the divide between the working man and yeah, and the gentleman was was massive. Um, and that was somewhat sheared away in the First World War, but I still think it lingered on. And, th- and this is definitely a sort of a, an Edwardian pre pre First World War idyllic kind of world, isn't it? The Shire is is very much like that. He's saying and, it's like Downton Abbey with orcs. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the film, they sort of they make out that he's in the pub. They're in the pub together, yes. you know, having yep. a great old great old time. But mm-hmm. you don't get the, the you don't get the sense that Frodo's ever gone into the pub with you know. No. With Sam Gamgee, absolutely not. Um, yeah, so he's um, yeah, so they're off, they're on their way. They're going to go, and uh, they've got to they've got to take it to Rivendell. You don't again. You don't get. Um, he's he's just on the run. There's no real quest being set for him. Uh, he's just got to uh, he just got to get up and leave, hasn't he? Yeah. Although Gandalf does mention in it, he says, "I don't know if it'll be you that takes it to the cracks of doom." Mm. So he can, he's already kind of perhaps suggesting that, you know, that's a possibility. Oh, right. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed reading it actually. I, uh, yeah, I, I like that change of pace from the, the first chapter. Yeah. It, we, 
I, I mentioned last week that I wonder, you know, I wonder when, when that is going to change, but it's pretty much the next page after that yeah. chapter. The style, Absolutely. the style changes, although, you know, it drifts back into, you know, whenever Sam's talking um, and the hobbits are talking together, it does drift back into the, into the hobbit. Uh, mm. There's a certain hardness that appears. Um, but I think that's, that comes after the, the Bombadil, Bombadil yeah. times. I, yeah, I guess it, it's um, it just it just hints at what the hobbits are, doesn't it? Every time they speak, it is this kind of pastoral idyll, this kind of bucolicness. Um, it just reminds you how perhaps how removed from the the world of man, yes, uh, the hobbits are. Yeah, I think that the man are, are a, a, a great differentiator between this and the hobbit, aren't they? The mm. fact that man is is uh, a lot more, I don't know, a lot less fantasy like and a lot more unpredictable than a goblin yeah. or a or an elf. Yeah, you see what I mean. Does that yeah, make any sense? I don't know. Yeah, yeah it does. So on to the next chapter, which is uh, three is company. Yeah, we'll find out yeah. next week. So have you got that. a word of the a word of the week? Or what? A word of the week? A word of the week? No, yeah. I haven't got a word of the week. Have you no. got a word of the week? No, I can find one, no. though. <laughs> Go on, then. Hmm. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs>